Hello, and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Iscaros. Most often when we think of effective women missionaries, we don't often think of queens or duchesses, but today on Rinse and Repeat, we have a truly unique example of a contemporary woman of the Bible, one who was literally royalty. Her name is Selina, the Countess of Huntington. She was born in 1707 in England, and Selina came to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ through the incredible revivals of George Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley, as we've mentioned here on the program before. In fact, she became the patroness of these great men. She even made Whitfield the chaplain of her home. She provided for the needs of the men from her substance, much like the great women of the Bible did for Jesus and the disciples. She also established a Methodist college, developing schools both in the United States and in England, and she supported Christian education through Princeton, Dartmouth, Cambridge, and many other schools. But the reason why I choose Selena today on the program is because of how wisely she chose her words. Selena loved Jesus, and even though she was an aristocrat and she ascribed to that high and lofty world, she was not afraid to use her position and her words to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, she was unashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. So I want to share two examples of that in particular from her life. First, at the height of the revivals, Selina noticed that the Archbishop of Canterbury was holding some rather incredibly questionable parties at his London residence. And he was supposed to really represent Christ to the British at the time. And she was very upset about how this was going on. So when she challenged him personally, one-on-one about it, he blew her off in a very flippant way. He really disregarded her and went on doing what he was doing. So Selena took it up the flagpole, and she went to the king himself and revealed the situation. So the king called the archbishop of Canterbury and gave him a royal reprimand. So she had all of this influence, and she was not afraid to use it for the purposes of of keeping people from being stumbled, of drawing people to God and to the truth. She used her words absolutely when it was necessary to do so. A second example, there was a famous theater in London. It was called the London Drury Lane Theater, which apparently still stands today. And at the time, it was run by a man named David Garrick. He had great admiration for George Whitfield, but, you know, he was a comedian and an actor. So he even joked a lot about Whitfield. And he would quip often that Whitfield was such a great orator that he could stand up at their theater and just stand and Whitfield could say the word Mesopotamia and people would be brought to incredible tears and weeping and gnashing of teeth just because Whitfield said the word Mesopotamia. That's how gifted Whitfield was. But nevertheless, Garrick produced a play that unfairly ridiculed Whitfield in Selena's opinion. So the Countess went to Garrick, who was a friend of hers, and she urged him to drop the play. Now, mind you, it was written, it was in production, it was all underway, and she told him, this play is incredibly unfair. She asked him to drop it, and he did. 
She even went on to petition legal authorities to put a stop to some of the persecution that was being leveled against the Methodists at the time. So she championed the gospel using everything in her power and under her position to do so. So that's my question to us right now. Do we champion the spread of the gospel using everything in our power to do so? Are we really willing to do hard things to do what is right? Are we willing to use our words even when we could be ridiculed, when it could be uncomfortable, when it could seem a little embarrassing? Are we willing to do it? And that's precisely what Abigail does in our story today. To begin, Abigail's name means my father's joy my father's joy, and it's precisely why we chose that name for one of our children. And I want to say at the outset, before we even begin the study, each of us is our father's joy. The scripture is clear that God rejoices over us with singing. It says in Zephaniah, you are your father's joy. But one question is, do we actually feel like that? Do we feel like God loves us and delights in us? See, I want to say that no matter how you feel, as I often say here on the program, you are very simply who God says you are. You are precisely who God says you are. You are his joy, no matter how you feel on any given day. Now, turn with me to 1 Samuel 25, and we're going to read this together and then pull it apart. The reason why I'm choosing to read the chapter is because for many, it's not necessarily that familiar, but also so we understand the context of Abigail's great wisdom here. So 1 Samuel 25, then Samuel died and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel, and the name of the man was Nabal, and his wife was Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doing, and he was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers, your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David." So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all the words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. 
Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sayas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me, and I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went under the cover of a hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. Please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me and blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Now Abigail went to Nabal and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. Therefore, she told him nothing little or much until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife told him these things that his heart died within him and he became like stone. Then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, 
he said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil for the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. Then the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel and they spoke to her saying, David sent us to ask you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maids, and followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Okay, so reading all of that, I think it's important to understand that Samuel at this point is dead and David is currently running from Saul. But during that time, David's men are doing a whole bunch of stuff, including protecting Nabal's shepherds from raids and natural predators when they're out in the fields doing all their tasks and shearing. So David's request to have a portion of Nabal's food during this feast is not far-fetched or heavy-handed. Nabal owes David because David's men are protecting Nabal's men out in the fields. So as we see, Nabal's name means fool for a reason. He's foolish. He's hard. Maybe it's that he's cheap. He has the money, but he's cheap. He's stubborn. He's unyielding. Maybe he's just a jerk. Whatever the reason, he does not deal wisely or well with David. So David responds naturally as a warrior would. He's basically saying, you're a dead man, Nabal. And then enter Abigail. We learn that she's a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. And I love this because good understanding in the Hebrew is sekel, which means prudent. Abigail was prudent and her prudence is proven by what she did and how she did it. When she hears what David is going to do to obliterate her household, she makes haste in verse 18. She moves fast to prevent trouble. That's the first thing I want you all to note. She moves fast to prevent trouble. In other words, she speaks, she acts to avoid bad things from happening. See, I feel like the opposite happens so often with us. Sometimes in our anger or our hurt, we can move fast and create trouble. In her wisdom, she moved fast to prevent it. And not only does she do that at the right time, she takes appropriate action. She gives David what her husband should have given, plenty of provisions. She meets the need, acting above the noise and the drama. So her husband should have done this. She runs and does what's appropriate, and she does it quickly. See, often people around us are reacting in certain ways, and then we can react to their reactions. But deep down, there are deeper issues at play. And we looked at this in Michael's message. We saw that we can develop bitterness towards people as a result of our bitterness towards circumstances. And we all know the cliche that hurt people hurt people. But do we ever challenge ourselves to see people and what's behind their immediate behavior rather than just reacting to what they're doing? Do we ever pause long enough to not 
react to what's immediately in front of us. Jesus, of course, as always, sets the great example here. Jesus was approached by the men who caught the woman in the act of adultery. And of course, we know that that was pretty much a setup, right? They probably set her up because where was the man? They let the man go, but they brought the woman before Jesus. And he was approached by these men, but he was able to speak more to their sin and what was going on in their hearts more than even what was going on in her life. So he's speaking to the real issue at hand, not the immediate issue of what's going on in the scene right in front of him, at least initially. Or with the rich young ruler, okay? The rich young ruler is coming to him asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is really answering what's behind the question, which is the rich young ruler's reliance on his wealth. The rich young ruler was depending on his wealth way too much. So Jesus was challenging him on the deeper issue. See, I guess what I'm asking us is in difficult situations, are we seeking the Lord to give us the kind of discernment that Abigail had in this situation? not only to address immediate needs, but to know what's going on even behind those things, to get past the immediate drama and to deal with what's really going on here, okay? She makes haste. She moves quickly. She's like, okay, I better diffuse the situation so we don't all get killed and address the deeper issue here. David, we owe him something. Yeah, Nabal, we're all going to get dead. I better handle that. But we owe David something. She makes haste at the right time and meets the real need. But notice just as important, it isn't what she says to David, but it's what she doesn't say. It's her silence also. Notice when she's silent and when she speaks. She's silent at first with Nabal at the end of verse 19. She tells him nothing as she goes to David. But then she runs to David and she speaks to him eloquently. She says a lot of things. She acknowledges at length who David is. Remember, Nabal says, who's this David? Who's this son of Jesse? Why do we care? He blusters and and goes on and on. But she acknowledges who David is. She acknowledges his position. She acknowledges their fault. She speaks clearly, eloquently. And then she comes back and she sees that Nabal is in the middle of a drunken orgy. And again, she doesn't speak to him. She waits until the next day to tell him at the end of verse 36. So we see there's as much wisdom in what we say as the timing of when we say it. It's not just what we say, but also the timing of when we say it. In other words, sometimes the wisdom is in speaking and sometimes the wisdom is not speaking. See, we must not say everything we feel right away as though it's wisdom. Okay, I I hear it all the time. Well, I need to give them a piece of my mind. No, you don't. No, you don't. Proverbs 29, 11 says a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. I think that's very important. And it's a lesson that, again, as a communicator, I always err on the side of communicating. But sometimes I over communicate and it causes trouble. Sometimes I say way too much. Titus 2 verse 5 admonishes godly women to be discreet. See, discretion can be defined in two ways. It's the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense or revealing private information. And it's the freedom to decide what should be done in a particular situation. 
Abigail is exercising both types of discretion, speaking so as not to cause offense, and it's deciding what should be done in a particular situation. She is being discreet. See, I have faced a similar situation very recently when I had to make a choice whether or not to speak. And I had to choose in that particular moment not to speak. And it was amazing because I asked the Lord, should I say something about this particular situation? And again, and this has happened now maybe for the third or fourth time in my life. And this was recently, like within the last two weeks. And he clearly said, choose relationship over stuff. So I said nothing. I said nothing. And wouldn't you know that within a matter of days, that issue was brought up by the person and addressed without me ever having to bring it up myself. And if only I could learn that in so many of my other relationships, hear me on this. When I brought it to the Lord and he clearly impressed upon my heart not to speak, he handled it without me having to say a word. I felt like this was Abigail-style discretion, not saying everything that comes to mind and certainly not saying things at the wrong time and trusting him to handle it. And in the story that I'm sharing with you all at this moment, God did it better than I could have ever imagined because it didn't then come from a place of tension and fighting and drama. There was so much peace because it was led by the other person and not by me sort of quote unquote picking a fight. Trust the Lord to be discreet in your dealings. But I want us not to just look at when she speaks, but what is she saying specifically? And this is so important. She takes responsibility for her part in this situation. This is so important because she doesn't do anything wrong, which is like why I got a little testy with this passage, because I'm like, Abigail, what are you apologizing for? You had nothing to do with anything. Nabal was at fault here. But in verse 24 and again in verse 28, she says things like this. So she fell at his feet and said, oh, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. And then in verse 28, she says, please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. What's going on here? She wasn't complicit in this. Listen, she's asking for forgiveness for her part in the saga. She's basically saying, I guess there's guilt by association. I'm part of his house, one flesh with this man. And she's saying, I'm willing to own the responsibility so as to deflect what's coming. And I guess what I'm learning in this and studying it is, are we willing to take responsibility for our part in conflict, even when most of it belongs to somebody else? Can you imagine the kind of humility that's involved in that? Being able to say, I'm sorry for my part in drama. Forgive me for the part I played in a situation. How important can that be? I feel like that's a critical component to being a peacemaker. Abigail is like textbook peacemaker here. 
First Peter 5, 5 says it this way. Likewise, you younger people submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And the passage I love repeating here on the program, Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Owning our part in conflict goes a long way in fostering communication and healing. And that's what Abigail does here. But second point I don't want us to miss. She doesn't let Nabal off the hook, but is honest about the situation. In verse 25, she says, let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. Listen, do we excuse sin in the name of making peace or keeping peace? Do we excuse sin? For example, mothers out there listening, do we say things like, well, my kid wouldn't do that? Not my kid. Really? Are you willing to give a pass to your children because you don't believe that they're little sinners running around that would do anything wrong? Or how about you? Are you ever willing to be wrong? I would never do that. Are we willing to be honest about the junk, loyal to our family, loyal to our kids, loyal to our loved one, but honest? Listen, it's like Joseph that we've studied also on the program. He said, you meant it for evil. So he doesn't let his brothers off the hook. He said, you meant it for evil. He doesn't excuse them. They did mean it for evil, but he says, but God meant it for good. So he's saying God is still sovereign. God is greater still, but he doesn't let them off the hook. Abigail is saying Nabal is still guilty. Even though I'm confessing and apologizing for my part in it, I am also acknowledging who's really the main player in this scene. Don't miss that. She's telling the truth, even as she's asking for forgiveness for her role. She's not letting him off the hook. It's not lying. And the third thing, she acknowledges what God has to say in the situation. See, in the whole thing, she says, you know, when the Lord has done for you what he says he's going to do for you, she knows that David is called by God and she reminds David of that truth. And that's why she doesn't want him to shed blood unnecessarily. See, Abigail knows what God has spoken and it gives her so much wisdom in dealing with the situation. How often, my beloved listeners, do we not have the wisdom we need in particular situations because we don't know what God has spoken? I say it again and again. We must read the word. We must seek the Lord in our devotional life. We must pray. But how much wisdom would we have if we actually were consistent in those things? So look, we looked at what her name means, right? My father's joy. We looked at how she moves fast to prevent conflict, not start it. We looked at how she uses discretion. She doesn't say everything and she doesn't say things at the wrong time. And we looked at how her speech indicates this humility of spirit to ask forgiveness, honesty in not giving excuses to Nabal, wisdom that comes from knowing what God says about the situation. But the last thing I want to look at from Abigail's life is this. Even when she acted, or even when she waited to act, she trusted God for the outcomes in each of her painful situations. She trusted God for the outcomes in each of the painful situations she faced. See, she trusts God to deal with David, all right? She could have been terrified to go to him. He could kill her upon her approach. And yet God shows her favor. 
She trusts God to deal with Nabal. She knows he's a louse and she comes back from saving lives. She finds him drinking and she waits to tell him in the morning. She's like, all right, God's going to deal with Nabal. So she trusts God to deal with David. She trusts God to deal with Nabal. And look at what God does. God deals with both of those men. And really, when God deals with Nabal and he ends up dead, God with one fell swoop is dealing with all of the situations. My beloved, do you trust the Lord to deal with people in your life who are unfair? To deal with those miserable situations in your life? See, the Bible teaches us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want us to take that passage as like a summing up of Abigail's story. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what she did. She overcame the evil Nabal did. She overcame the evil that David could have done. She does both with good. That's our exhortation today. Do not be overcome by evil around you, by unfairness, by difficult relationships, by the Nabals of your life. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, just as Abigail did. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Rinse and Repeat. I hope that you are enjoying the program. Again, we are rejoicing for having reached 14,000 listens of the program and last month having celebrated, of course, our one year anniversary. What a joy. I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear how the program is affecting your life. We're really excited about hearing from listeners, of course, in South Africa, as I've mentioned, and learning that we have some listeners in France. What a joy to learn about the global nature of Rinse and Repeat. But above all, knowing that God is using His Word to reach your hearts wherever you are. That gives me so much joy. In fact, hearing from you all is keeping us going here on Rinse and Repeat. So take a moment. Let me know what the program means to you. My website is caroliscaros.com. That's carol, E-S-K-A-R-O-S.com. You can let me know what the program means to you. Learn about the Bible reading plans that we have published about upcoming events in your area and so much more. And again, be sure to join me next time for our next episode of Rinse and Repeat.